here we are. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 7. We are ready for a revival. We are always ready for a revival, aren't we? That's what we want. We pray for that all the time. Let's have a revival of the body of Christ worldwide. Wouldn't that be great? Well, uh, we will see that here in 1 Samuel 7. And uh, if you have uh, had noticed, strangely absent was Samuel in chapters 4, 5, and 6. By the way, on your outline you have one chapter tonight that we are destined to go through, not two of them. We've been covering it pretty rapidly. But uh, in chapters 4 through 6, his name is not even mentioned. Um, I guess you have him in uh, chapter what uh, the chapters earlier, but uh, from chapter 4, verse 2, through chapter 7, verse 2, Samuel doesn't even seem to be present at all. And you remember when the ark was foolishly taken into battle against the Philistines by the Israelites, and they looked to it as some kind of a magic wand, a, a magic ark that would deliver them and give them victory, and obviously that didn't work out at all. And they got humiliated, the ark was taken, they got defeated, 30,000 from the army was defeated, and the Philistines had the ark, and then uh, it kind of got comical after that because... <laughs> Uh, they put the ark along with their uh, particular god, Dagon, and uh, Dagon fell, and then fell again and broke his head off and his arms, and it was a stump. And then they uh, wanted to get rid of the ark because what happened is that it caused all sorts of havoc with the disease that it uh, was. It had a pandemic. Is what happened. It spread out all throughout the Philistine area. And so that didn't go over too well. No city wanted it. And finally take it back to Israel. That's where we were at last week. Now they've got it, and they're going to take it up to Kiriath. Jiriam and the uh, men of that city, that town, came and take the ark from them. Uh, The the ark is not an instrument which God works uh, through in the sense that some kind of uh, you know a magic uh, formula in it for uh, the people to win their battles. They falsely assume that that's not the way that he works. He works through the word of God and prayer spoken by in this case the prophet Samuel. Samuel wasn't present. They didn't ask any wisdom from him or any prayer, and so we see what happened to them. God takes away their security blanket, takes away the ark in a place that it hadn't been before. It had been in Shiloh. And that was the place of the ark. No longer is it in Shiloh. Uh, The Israelites are now going to have to look for security somewhere else. The ark doesn't make it. They're going to have to look at Samuel who will point them to the Lord again. They haven't been looking at the Lord at all, have they? And that's the problem. The nation is going to return to the Lord. Amen. That's what we see in chapter 7. It's good to see that. It's victory. Now another thing, what we're going to touch on tonight, spend a few minutes on when we get there to that point, it's going to be dealing with was Samuel a priest or not? Because Audrey brought that up a few weeks ago. And it's been bothering me ever since. 
Audrey, you cause all sorts of havoc, and I've been reading and studying and looking at my books in my library, looking up on the internet, trying to find out, was he a priest or not? Uh, so we're going to look at that. I kind of cut you off pretty quick and said, no, he wasn't a priest. So, but I wasn't, I, you know what? I wasn't sure. And I'm still not sure. He hung out with them. But we're going to take a look at that. We're going to see what he did and who he was. And so maybe that will help us. So anyway, does that sound kind of interesting tonight? That's probably what we're going to focus on a little bit. I think it's kind of interesting. Anyway, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening, the time that we have together to read your word, to study it to find out how you operate, how you work through your prophets, your leaders, your people who you've chosen to bring back to repentance, to follow you. Lord, we thank you for this chapter because it looked like Israel was at their lowest point again. But you always raise them back up and use certain people. This is the last of the judges. What a great man he was through you and your strength that you gave him and his wis- the wisdom that you gave him. May we gain that tonight in our own reading and study. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, ready for revival. Chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. The ark is coming back. Alright, that's good. I didn't stay in Philistine territory. Actually, there probably wouldn't have been any left. They, uh, we know that it said that uh, some people said it caused hemorrhoids. <laughs> I think it was probably worse than that. I, I've, I've never heard of hemorrhoids killing people, but I guess it probably feels like it's going to kill you. You guys always, ever had it? I always thought not hemorrhoids, but when it says tumors, I think you know. I think like boils and I do too. Within your body, like, you know, when they talk about tumors in the brain, I think about that. That's always the first thing that comes to mind that would kill somebody. I think I think you're a lot more right than those a lot, a lot of those uh, guys that write the commentaries. It doesn't sound it doesn't that's where they got the pain in the I'm like, that just doesn't sound right. But you can handle that. Possibly, yeah. Know. Well, they kind of work the same way. It had to be visible, you know. It had to be visible because they knew they had it. And they made golden images yeah, so out of those. What whatever those. Like. They never forgot about it. Whatever it was. And with Job, it says, you know, Satan says, you know, take his flesh because a man will give up all of his possessions to keep his like appearance. Right. And so you know. Well, it's a crazy seven months. Yeah. That disease. Whatever was happening there. They make golden replicas of the disease, whatever the tumors. And the mice. And mice. That was rather Five golden mice and him or her tumors. Whichever they were. I'm sure they were painful. Yeah. I'm sure it was. The themselves are. They, they're swelling. They're, they're varicose veins is what mm-hmm. they are, and they swell up. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess they can't... People have surgery for them. Yeah, they have to have surgery to yeah. get some... To get them <clears <clears <throat> bleeding hemorrhoids. I mean, you could conceivably bleed to death. You, you could die from it. Yeah. 
But it's probably but you very to, bad. You know, leave them alone and let them, you know, get worse all the time. And I mean, it would take a while. <laughs> take a while. Yeah. Well, well, uh, that's painful to talk about it, to think about it. Verse one. Something else. <laughs> that's right. Okay, we're in a jovial mood tonight, aren't we? <laughs> Sorry, I'm the one that started it. Okay. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord, brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill, consecrated Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim, the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented <coughs> after the Lord. So, there's a return of the uh, ark. It's taken to Kiriath-Jerim. Um, we've actually seen that place before. It's kind of related to another place that was it was named uh, something like named after Baal. But Joshua 15, verse nine. You remember when we were in Joshua? Of course, there were a lot of chapters that we just kind of blew through, so you probably don't remember this part. But in 15.9 of Joshua, it says, From the top of the mountain, the border curved to the spring of the water of uh, Nephtoa, and proceeded to the cities of Mount Ephron. <laughs> then the border curved to Bala, Bala that is Kiriath-Jerim. So there is a place that is uh, along the border there, and it's uh, from Bela to Mount Seir, wherever you're headed there. But you have a slope of Mount Jerem on the north. Anyway, that's it's a place. It's mentioned again in verse sixty, same chapter. Uh, Kiriath Baal, that is Kiriath Jerem. And Rabbah. So you see, I guess really I'm emphasizing the fact that it's interesting that Baal is in on this name here. And then uh, chapter 18 of Joshua, verse 14. Of course, they took over these cities, didn't they? Uh, it says, uh, the border extended from there, we'll turn around on the west side, southward from the hill, which lies before Beth, Horon, southward, and ended at Kiriath Baal, that is Kiriath Jerem, a city of the sons of Judah. So, uh, and that became the territory of Benjamin. So it's related there to the sons of Judah. So you can see where, what area that would be in, the south part of Israel. Uh, it's interesting, they've turned the ark at that place, not anywhere else. It had been the place where Eli and his sons had the offerings and the altar uh, and everything that was there as far as worship was concerned was no longer the place to be, Shiloh. It's not there. Um, look at Second Samuel chapter, at, I'll tell you what. Don't worry about it. That, and that's dealing with Jerusalem, and, and eventually that's where the ark is going to go. This is in the area that's pretty close to Jerusalem. It's in that ballpark. 
But and the ark will eventually return there, and that will be its final resting place. Now there's Eliezer, he's going to be the one who's consecrated to keep that ark. It's not going to be any priest ministering there like you had before. Eli and his sons are dead. And that's what I say. It's interesting. What, what does Samuel do? We'll get there. 20 years. 20 years. The time was long. It stayed there at that place for that length of time. It was kept. Made sure that uh, the Israelites didn't uh, go worshiping in it and making it the idol. I think they've got the message now. This is where Samuel comes into play now. Verse 3. Last saw him in chapter 4, I believe, right? Or before that. Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, If you return, catch the words here, to the Lord with all your heart. Return with all your heart. Right? And then, what does it say? Remove. So return, remove. Remove what? The foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you. And direct your hearts to the Lord. So return, remove. Direct your hearts to the Lord and serve Him alone. And He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So what has been the kind of the outline all along? Israel is in a good relationship with the Lord, and then all of a sudden what do they do? They turn away from Him. They worship idols. They don't listen to Him. Then He, of course, He punishes them, brings on the nations, Philistines or whoever it is. And then they eventually repent, he blesses them brings, by bringing a deliverer. They are given mercy and then it all starts all over again. Well, that's what's happening here. Return, remove your gods, direct your hearts to the Lord, serve Him alone, and here's what He'll do. He will deliver you from the Philistines. They've been a pain in their side for a long time now. So it says in verse 4, then the, land, the, um, the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Asherah and served the Lord alone. So there they did it. They returned to the Lord. They remove. They direct their hearts to the Lord. They serve Him. And He is going to deliver so that's the idea how it goes. They purpose to serve God alone. They look to God alone for deliverance from the Philistines. And then Samuel gathers them for a great prayer. Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mitzpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. They gathered to Mitzpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on the day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mitzpah. So he takes over as the leader here. And as he gathers the people together, 
He is a great leader, isn't he? And it's not far from his home. He lives in Ramah. And he promises that he will pray to the Lord on behalf of Israel. He's a great man of God. He knows how to pursue God. He knows how to pray to God. He gets them to repent, to turn from their wicked ways. Um, look in verse 8. 7 verse 8. Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, that He may save us from the hand of the Philistines. They have a go-between here, don't they? Remember Moses? He was a go-between, wasn't he? So he's the one that they go to. They need somebody as a as a priest, in a sense, that way, or somebody that is in between them. They look to it. So, that same kind of thought continues in after, let's see, in uh, after 7, it's in chapter 8, verse 6. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel, who said, give us a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed, to the Lord. So they're, they're going to start asking for a king near the end of his uh, judge, judging time. And they say, ask the Lord for us a king. Samuel, he doesn't take that very well. <laughs> but he goes to the Lord. And he prays to the Lord. The Lord speaks to him. He says, alright. We'll give him a king. <laughs> yeah, you want to do that? Mm-hmm. you to death. Uh, and they're going to take your sons and put them in to war. Chapter 12, verse 19. Then all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, so that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. They realized they did wrong. Pray for us. Uh, Verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me, have you ever heard of that one? That I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and right way. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. You know, if we don't pray for each other, we're sinning. Really. We need to be always be praying for each other, shouldn't we? And ceasing to pray for all the ones that are around us. Think of family and friends or neighbors. And that's a thing to do. Far be it from me that I fail to do that, right? Well, get the idea. He is the go-to man. He knows God. They know He knows God. They want to be directed by God. So Samuel is their great leader. So what do they do in, in chapter 7 in verse, um, I think it's 6, where the people draw the water and pour it out before the Lord? What does that mean? Well, kind of like that. Just and, and you know what? It's... Always companion with uh, with repentance. 
It's dealing with repentance there. They refrain from probably food and water for a token of their repentance here. They fasted on that day. Pour out this offering. Like I was going to drink that, but I poured it out. <laughs> yeah. Here, we're giving this to God and we are not drinking anything today. We're not eating anything. And all so much for that. So, are they really desiring to repent? I believe so by those actions. Are they sincere? Yeah. For now. <laughs> for now. That's the problem, isn't it? It's okay for now. So, we see that they confess their sins. Samuel prays for the Israelites. And here it is in right at the end of verse um, 6. Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mitzpah. Not only there, but he takes totally over for the next many years to judge them, to lead them in worship and in judging everyday matters. He becomes very important to the people of God there. Go back to chapter 4, verse 18. It said there, when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell off the seat backward beside the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For he was old and heavy, thus he judged Israel forty years. So there was the judge Eli, who was also a priest. He was a judge, wasn't he? He had judged Israel forty years uh, Actually, you have Samuel that is really going to be judging them. And that's what happens here. Uh, So Eli fulfilled quite the office. He had a lot of things not good about him. But there were some things that actually were good. And he taught Samuel. He set him up in learning how to serve the Lord and do offerings and to lead the people. That's only what the priest did. Right. Because in 10, that's what Samuel offered up, the burnt offering. That's only a priest's job. Well, that's where we're going to be getting into that. That's what we're going to be talking about here. What's going on? I a little trouble with people trying to do things that aren't their business to be doing. Saul did that. (laughs) Yeah. And got reprimanded for it. So, we're going to, and that's what we would legitimately should be asking. Okay, what's going on here? Uh, just before we get into that, Mitzpah is apparently it's a high place. It overlooks the whole surrounding area there. And militarily speaking, this place is an ideal location for defending yourself in battle. It's a great place for them to be at. The Philistines haven't yet learned their lesson. They should have learned from the ark, shouldn't they have? They should have laid off. They've been taking the the, uh, Israelites for a long time now. They've experienced the heavy hand of God and the heavy hand will continue because Israel has repented. This is where God takes their sight. Guess what? 
Philistines are assuming here that the nation Israel has gathered for war. Samuel gathered them to repent and pray a revival. (laughs) They do. They get the revival. And they assume, the Philistines do, that they're going to be successful as they always had. Now, the Israelites are thinking, oh no, here we go again. So we read this, pick it up in um, verse 7. Now when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered to Mitzpah, the Lord's, and by the way, it's a good place for war. <laughs> the Lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. They remember. They know what has happened. They have always lost. At least lately. Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel. So who do they go to? Oh, good. Good boy here. This time they did go to him. They didn't say, hey, grab the ark. (laughs) First of all, they can't get it. They didn't say, grab your weapons. Go to our leader. Who knows God. Do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, that He may save us from the hand of the Philistines. That's good. I like that. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him, Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. The men of God went out of Mitzpah, pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below Bethkar. So you have... Israelites are in fear. They go to their leader, Samuel. They appeal to him on the basis of God's grace, not magic. Cry out to Samuel. Samuel goes to the Lord for them in prayer. The Lord hears. Samuel offers a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Cries out to the Lord. He is a prophet. He is a judge. What about this? Was Samuel a priest? Here's here's where we go now. He lived like a priest. He's, you know, on top of being a prophet, spoke for God. As a young boy, he spoke for God to Eli. And throughout here, he's a judge, no doubt. He judged the sons of Israel at Mitzvah. That's where it started there. Okay. Number one, and so I have to take this a little bit back, Audrey, about that deal whenever I said about the priest. Because it seems like he's a judge and he's a prophet. Can he be a priest also? Something to be thinking about Isn't here. There's some birthing rule there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That's the very first point we're going to bring up. That's right, because there's something there, because Eli is the one who <coughs> uh, raises Samuel up after a, a certain age, probably three, four, five years old, something like that. And he teaches him throughout all that time. He's brought up in the temple, and he lives out his life in priestly service. It's interesting, he even slept in the same room with the ark. I'm puzzled on that one. Who, who was to be going into the Holy of Holies? High priest, and how often? Once a year. And you better get out of there quick. Okay. I don't know. I really don't. I don't have an answer for it. I don't have an answer. If somebody does, let me know. But he definitely could have been adopted by Eli. That's right. That would have given him that long. Eli taught to Samuel the one and only job that Eli did very well, evidently. He was a high priest. Eli was a high priest. He came from the Aaronic priesthood. That's the only one who can be... Yeah, Eli. So do we know Samuel's lineage? We're going to look at that. We are going to look at... You're just ahead of me by about a step. A half step. Number two, he performed some duties that were traditionally assumed for priests. And he also appointed leaders. He appointed Saul as king, and he appointed David as king. That's what priests do. He's offering up sacrifice here at this time, and he does that throughout here. Uh, We're going to go to 1 Chronicles chapter 6 for a moment. This is where it kind of gets interesting. Now, the Chronicles is after the Samuels and the Kings, right? First Chronicles chapter 6. If we follow this, it might help us out. Verse 27 and verse 28. The sons of Samuel... No, 27. Eliab, his son, Jerah. Jeraham, his son, Elkanah, his son. Remember Elkanah? Elkanah is the father of Samuel. The sons of Samuel were Joel, the firstborn, and Abijah. So there's Samuel mentioned there. Now, you can say, well, what does this have to do with this? This Fathers and sons. Well, back up to verse 16. The sons of Levi, and then it lists all of them, all the way up to Samuel and beyond. So Samuel is what? He's a Levite. Levi. Did you know that, Audrey? I didn't. (laughs) But she thought it could be. I didn't. Does that help? I didn't say that, but I didn't want to be embarrassed. Watch it. Watch it. (laughs) Free that move. Okay. And I will also tell you that he is a member of the Kohathite branch. Well, you have uh, Kohath and 
then right on down to finally come to uh, what would be uh, Moses and Aaron of the Levitic of the Levite people. Uh, 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 Levi had three, three major sons. One of them was a Kohathites, and through a few generations, then you see like the father of Samuel and. Uh, Samuel himself, his sons, are in that Kohathite line. And the Kohathites, some were... Uh, and they're all Levites, right? Because they they're stemming off of a Levite branch. But some Kohathites were priests. Some were Levites. And I'll tell you, that's a hard study. Levites serve in the temple... But that doesn't necessarily make them priests, even though they're the same family. But there's an Aaronic line, that's Aaron, and that's Moses' brother. And so what you have from Aaron and any of his sons and their sons on down through that line would be the priests. So, I don't know, we might be getting somewhere there, I don't know. Um... Let's go to First Chronicles six sixteen. We'll back up a little bit. We read that, right? That's what we were just the sons of Levi were Gershom, Kohath, and Merari. Okay, so I said there was Kohath. Now let's let's keep on going on that. Let's look at verse twenty two. The sons of Kohath were Abinadab, his son Korah. Remember the sons or Korah? And, of course, there was Korah's rebellion. But he had sons, and his sons were musicians. Korah, his son, Asser, his son, Elkanah, his son, Besoph, his son, and Asser, his son, Teath, his son, Uriel, Uzziah, and of course you drop on down there in verse 26. As for Elkanah, the sons of Elkanah were Zophai, his son, and Naath, his son, Eliab, Jeroham, and then it gets down to the sons of Samuel were Joel, the firstborn. So there's Samuel. He is a Kohathite of the Levitical tribe. So he could be directly coming from the Aaronic line. But we never know that. We don't know that for sure. I looked and looked. I couldn't find anything further on that, but it's interesting. Go, uh, did we do, uh, let's see, we did 22, right? Uh, 31 through 33. Now these are those whom David appointed over the service of song in the house of the Lord. Now this is during the time of King David. After the time of Samuel, but not too far, because Samuel appointed David as king, anointed him. Okay, after the ark rested there. David is one who brought it to Jerusalem, right? Didn't get the temple there. City of David, and then later on Solomon gets the temple built there where it can rest there for till the time of judgment. Anyway, they ministered with song before the tabernacle of the tent of meeting until Solomon had built the house of the Lord, which we're talking about, in Jerusalem. They served in their office according to their order. These are those who served with their sons from the sons of the Kohathites were Heman the singer, the son of Joel, the son of Samuel. Remember, Samuel had a son. Right, Joel. Or one of them, of his sons, was Joel. Right, Joel, the, who wrote the book? No, 
No, I wish. Joel didn't turn out very good. His sons didn't turn out too good. It's sad. Samuel, the great man of God, his sons didn't work out. But he's in the choir. (laughs) He's a musician. He's a singer. Were Heman the singer, the son of Joel, the son of Samuel, right? The Kohathites were Heman the singer, the son of Joel. Now, I don't know about, maybe Joel wasn't, I don't know, but his son was in that. So what do we have now? Well, the reference to Samuel's father in another area uh, is that his father is an Ephraimite. Now, wait a minute. Where That's where you're going to be stumped, right? Mm-hmm. Because, according to my index here, yes, and, and that makes sense. Ephrathite, also called Ephraimite, and it sounds like it should be. But an Ephrathite, according to this, says it's an inhabitant of Bethlehem, mm-hmm. which was the city of David. And but David, you know there's a mother and a father. David was not a not a about the Ephraimite. Okay, that sounds like one of the tribes of Israel, right? And his father is considered that. But guess where they they lived in Ephraim. But it doesn't mean that he's an Ephraimite because that the way they would consider that. Hey, I'm a Jefferson Cityite. He say, well, I thought you were a Helton. You know, or something, you know. But no, I I live here. So his location is that he's an Ephraimite. That's what I had to check out too. Or either he's from two tribes, and I don't think we have to make it that difficult. He lives there, and that's that that hill area. And of course, you're close to, you know, what, Judah. I mean, you're in that area. But isn't it also possible that his mother might have been an Ephraimite? I mean... You could have somebody from because they they between. It the could tribes. be, but in this case, that's where he that's where they lived. They lived there, and that makes it a lot more simple in that sense. He says Elkanah, the son of Jerahim, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. And there and and don't get by the way that's another area, of, and that is not Ephraim. Because you would think, uh-oh, that would spring on down, and, and so Samuel's an Ephrathite, and, or they've made some kind of spelling. No, Ephrathite, the Ephrathite is different than Ephraimite. Go back to the yeah. beginning of chapter 6. Really Not the same. To me. The, but the, the, it's a different, if it's a different village, it's a different town. So with Samuel's father, an Ephraimite, meaning he comes from that town, his relative was an Ephrathite. Would you say, well, what's that from some other? Yeah, does that help now? They're they're different towns, is what they were. I I had to really check this out last night in my Bible dictionaries and such. And Carolyn was saying, "What are you looking for?" And I said, "I said I'm looking for this Bible dictionary, Ungers, and it's not here." But I found another one. And but uh, you know, I was looking all over the internet because I knew you guys are too sharp. And you're going to be asking me these things. So I'm able to come right back at and tell you, those are downs. Because I go, oh, that really up. Because I was thinking the exact same thing you are. But some commentators will say that. 
And so they get those two confused, and then we get all sorts of problems. I guess I'm trying to see if, he, if Samuel is related to David's line. Well, we know that David is from the tribe of what? Judah. Judah. Right. And, of course, he's from Levi. uh, the Levite tradition. But anyway. Um, couldn't the mom be from the other <laughs> tribe? <laughs> anyway. Okay. I, I, okay. I'm just trying to see. We'll move on here. Okay. So it's talking about the territory. Uh, not his tribal origin. If, if we get that, that helps. And that just takes the problem out. Being a Levite explains why he was in Ephraim because that was one of the places where Levites would live in certain places uh, throughout Israel. In certain areas or certain towns. And that is why his, they, they would be called an Ephraimite. And since the Levites lived throughout Israel, <coughs> that'd be the case. If you read further in Samuel's heritage, what you're going to find is that he's a Kohathite, which we already figured that one out. And in Joshua 21.5 says, And the rest of the Kohathites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Ephraim. So, whatever it's worth. So, Samuel is a Kohathite of the tribe of Levi, living in a Levite city in Ephraim, in the hill country of Ephraim. So, hopefully that's breaking it down. Because this is kind of difficult. Tony's over there sitting on a first session. He's going, wow, I sure missed a lot of stuff. I'll see you. Well, I knew we were going to, let's go into a gym tonight. And so I knew that most of the time was going to be spent on this because I think it does raise a great question. When we come down to it, it's like this. Hey, what was Samuel? Was he really a priest? Was he a Levite? Oh, we know he's a Levite. He's a Kohathite. But that's the whole, the whole thing about First Samuel has been that people are not doing in the right order the way God has set it up to do. So that's why we're having trouble. Then that Samuel all of a sudden seems like he is out of where he's supposed to be doing sacrifices. So that's been the whole. That's really what Samuel said. Eli dies. Right. Eli's the priest. His son dies. Died. He dies. There's now no priest. Right. Samuel is there. He's been raised up by Eli. And Samuel now is going to be offering up sacrifices for the people, like a pre, a, even a high priest would do. He's not a high from, priest. Samuel came from Hannah, who wanted to have a child, and she gave when she finally got to have a child, she gave oh, it. To, last week. Yeah. So that's so that's where Samuel came from, and that's the whole thing. So we knew that he didn't originate into this family line of the priests. So Go back to the videos. And you'll see, <laughs> right there. And one of those videos is where Audrey said, well, he was a, something like, he, he was a priest. And we're going, no. And I, I go, no, no. but. <laughs> and I, I will tell you that it's really divided. Some people will say he's not a priest. Others say because of all of these situations, he's, either, he's definitely playing the priest but does he have the credentials to be a priest? He's a Levite, but does a, being a Levite, does that make you a priest? You do the duties of like a priest, but that doesn't mean you are a priest. I mean, he could be like a substitute teacher. 
<laughs> with, with qualifications. They don't have they don't have any real priests where they are anyway. These, these well, priests that they had were even doing what they were supposed to be doing. Those were the real teachers that were but, failing. But Samuel can't do that. That's his whole point. Well, I mean, he, he's, he's, that's God, exactly. So he's a Kohathite. Uh huh. Okay. Which is a part of the Levite family. Is that, is that a and those guys. A Kohathite is, is that a son of Korah? Uh, well, the Korahs in there. Yeah, the sons of Korah were. Uh, yeah. That, that was part of the. You have Kohath, which it, sons of Levi are Gershom, Kohath, and Merari. Oh. Then the Kohathites, and then you have several of those till you finally get to. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, okay, and one of the sons, sons of Kohath yeah. is Amram. Yeah. And the children yeah. of Amram are Aaron, Moses, and Mary. Right, right. Right, Amram would be so in that direct line of the great high priest family, okay, the Aaronic so priesthood. If he's a Kohathite, then so would be a priest. He could be he he could be half. He's got a half a chance, half a chance. That's what leaves us puzzled. And then he was adopted by. Yeah, and you're following right along there too. That's what I tried to get, and. Then it's le- the ball just drops. But I think he's qualified okay, for God to go ahead and do this. I do. Well, and and he wouldn't. Samuel wouldn't. Yeah, he wouldn't did it. He wouldn't did that if it wasn't. And God is speaking to Samuel first and foremost. And if Samuel's sleeping next to the ark. You know, and you're not supposed to be there. And he's not dead. Then that means God is obviously saying, "Whatever you are is something that I've chosen." He's really been with him, hadn't he? Well, catch this. Okay, he's like a priest first, right? He's trained by Eli. He did all those priestly duties, and as he grew up, God spoke to him, delivered a prophecy to Eli and his family, so that. That now makes him a priest and a prophet. Then Samuel became, you know, a judge. He's not king. You cannot be a king and do priestly duties. And we find out one very soon from Saul who does do that. And after that, God's done with him. You don't do that as a king. So what's the difference here? You know, well, he couldn't be the high priest of you know, at the tabernacle or the Ark of the Covenant is not at that place in Shiloh anymore, Samuel is not going to be doing the priestly duties as we would normally see, like a tabernacle. That's what's interesting. Even though he does do some offerings and he acts as a priest. But, you know, as soon as Eli died... We remember that ark was stolen during that battle and never came back there. So he never did any duties like, uh, like a the tabernacle. Right. Right. So I don't believe you know necessarily that he really has to be the Aaronic priesthood, but I think he's a lesser priest in a way. And in this case, he's the one that God's going to use to bring the people back to God, which is happening already. The ark was taken at the time that Eli and his sons died, right? When it was returned, it was put into control on the descendants of Eliezer. 
which is going to be the line again that's from the Aaronic priesthood, but it's going to take a while. In the meantime, Samuel is kind of like an in-between. And he's between the judges and the kings being the last judge. It's a transitional period. And God does that sometimes. By the way, sometimes He would use certain people to do uh, offerings like that. Do you remember uh, Samson's uh, mother and father? They, they did a sacrifice. Or Elijah also did that as, as a prophet. So it's kind of interesting. Samuel took the role of judge after the return of the ark, right? So he's qualified to sacrifice, and he was given prophecies at times, his other role as a judge. And I think there are a lot of cases where we could even Gideon offered sacrifices. Job offered sacrifices. Ah, so there we go. There's special people that God has used to do that. So... um, the rules for only erotic priests were specific to the sanctuary and the ark. And so he's not dealing with the sanctuary or the ark, but he's doing the priestly duties. He's the only one there to do it. And that's the way that God designed it. Um, so there's no direct statement in the Bible that Samuel took over from Eli as a high priest. doesn't say that. It can only be inferred, which I think that's kind of what we're doing here tonight. We're inferring that he has a priestly lineage, no doubt. He and, and we now have got it in our minds that he is really, truly a legitimate Levite. And that is pretty cool. Um, nobody else has ever, ever mentioned. No other priests were available, evidently. That's what we have got to go by here. So he ministers to the people. The sanctuary is not there, but and at the same time, God has him doing his thing. Now, let's finish the chapter. That will help as we go through the rest of this, because we can see how God has put him up in a high position. So in chapter 7... Are we at 12? Okay, here we go. Uh, verse 12, Samuel took a stone, set it between Mitzpah and Shin, and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. By the way, Ebenezer means stone of help. And there is another one in chapter 4, verse 1, but this is a different one. This is a different uh, Ebenezer. The word of Samuel came to all Israel, and Israel went to meet Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer, while the Philistines camped in Aphek. It's a different one. There was another stone of help, which is God. He which is our stone, our rock. That song, I raise my Ebenezer. <laughs> I, there's where it's at. Yeah, I raise my stone of help. That's really good. Yeah, what isn't that? Uh, it's that Irish lilt song. We do it all the time. Come thou found of ever. Yeah, that's it. Raise thy Ebenezer. Yeah. yeah, very good. That's right. So, the Philistines were no more a threat during the time of Samuel. That's interesting. We'll read on here. 
um, thus far the Lord has helped us. So far, <laughs> right? You notice he takes it back to the glory to the Lord. You notice that is as simple as it is. Everything that we do is coming from God. We can't do anything on our own. Samuel knows this. He's going to teach the people this. He's going to teach them to pray, to seek the Lord. It's going to happen for a while. (laughs) I like one thing back there, Father, when you're talking about that they asked for the Philistines and God sent confusion to them. Mm -hmm. Kind of have that for election day. (laughs) Yeah. Confusion. By the way, He thundered, didn't He? Mm -hmm. He thundered on that day. I mean, it was so much that they just blew Him away. And that's happened in many battles before, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. Just supernatural things like that. So the Philistines were subdued. They did not come anymore within the border of Israel. That's it. After all that time, this did it. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Don't you like that? Isn't it nice to know that God is always there to deliver? That's what He wants to do. But the people need to cry out to Him and repent and confess, and then be directed to serve Him. And He blesses them that every time, if they're legitimate in it. The cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. Did you catch that? All the cities that were lost by Israel to the Philistines, they got back. Wow. And it goes from Ekron even to Gath. You know, like right on down the coast, if you move over uh, to the east, will be the Jerusalem or uh, Israel cities. So it's not that they get at Kron and Gath, but they do get those cities that were down from all the way down that area. And then also, there's another people that are living in that in that territory. Uh, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites, so the Philistines don't attack them anymore. The Amorites, now they have peace with that are right uh, east or west of them. And then Samuel's ministry he's judged Israel all the days of his life. He used to go annually. And here we go. We, we hear about circuit judges, circuit courts. Audrey, you know all about that, right? He was. That's what he did. He was a circuit rider here, I guess. Bethel, Gilgal, Mitzpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. Then his return was to Ramah. For his house was there, and there he judged Israel. So he lived in Ramah. He judged from Ramah. And like once a year, he would be on the circuit, take to the cities of Bethel and Gilgal and Mitzvah, and do most of his judging at home at Ramah, which is close to the area, I think, in, uh, let's say, Jerusalem in that area, territory. He built there an altar to the Lord. And there we go again. Yeah. Mr. Priest. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, of course, it's not the tabernacle, it's not the temple, but it's, it's a place it's that designates this as God's. Yeah. Samuel, quite a priest, prophet, a judge. I think we can call him a priest now. What do you guys think? Could anybody back then do that, though? 
Uh, do an altar and a sacrifice to the Lord. Well, we saw in in, uh, in the book of uh, where we're at right now, uh, or through the book of Judges, I mean, which is the time of Judges where we're at. We're at the end of it. But what they remember the priest that went around offering himself for hire, basically, and then other people would set up, you know, uh, those kind of things. Of course, that was really idolatry. But uh, anyway, but he builds an order. Looking for a priest, a real Levite guy. Yeah. I mean, that knows just, his stuff. They were just picking up anybody to be a priest. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't credentials. So yeah. <laughs> That's basically what they were doing. That's what some of them were doing. They did what was right in their own eyes, and the priest didn't lead them to God. You know, it was just like, hey, that's a job. Politician. <laughs> Take care of me. So, you know what? We just finished the first section of First Samuel. In chapter 8, verse 1, starts a new section. Boom. Dividing line there. So anyway, I thought that was pretty cool going through the uh, idea of the priest and Samuel. So I think we arrived at something. I think we got a pretty good, at least a handle, you know. I'm sure you got all of this, didn't you? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't go in here and out. <laughs> like what? Go well, through the videos in the last couple weeks. Let's let's have a word with the Lord, Father. We thank you for this evening and the time that we've had, and just studying this man of God, Samuel, and how the people repented and followed His ways as He taught them and showed up in the way of the Lord. And Lord, we always need to be reminded of that. It's great to see victory. It's great to see when people want to follow the Lord and the blessings that You bring. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.